0: You're listening to Comedy Central. Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. November 7th, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah.
1: Ears edition.
0: Welcome to The Daily Show, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you, as always, for coming out. I'm Trevor Noah. Our guest tonight is an actor, comedian, and author here with a new Netflix special, and a brand new book. Jenny Slates is joining us, everybody. (laughs) Also on tonight's show, Facebook is banning sex, Donald Trump doesn't know how to stand, and the ugly truth about vaping. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with the big social media controversy. Recently, Facebook said that it would not ban political ads even if they made false statements. And everyone said, oh man, we're screwed. And now Facebook is saying, oh no, we'll make sure you're not screwed. Facebook and Instagram users who post emojis or emoji strings in a sexual manner will now face being banned. That means if you use eggplant, peach emojis or sweat emojis, Facebook and Instagram will be looking at just how you're using them. Really, Facebook? (laughs) You're banning eggplant and peach emojis? You realize now it's gonna be so hard to explain to your grandma why her eggplant and peach salad post got deleted. <laughs> you're gonna be like, so grandma, uh, Facebook thinks you're a hoe." Uh, <laughs> you'll be like, you do one gang bang, it follows you for the rest." Wait, what? <laughs> you know what I find fascinating about this, right? is that there's apparently nothing Facebook can do if Russians post fake political ads or Nazis send death threats, but all of a sudden they're coming off to horny people, like, we got a cold water squirt here. Hold, go cold water squirt. Let's roll, fellas. And by the way, also thought it's fun to imagine explaining to someone from the 19th century how dating has changed, right? Because they would be like, in my day, we used to court our betrothed by putting a sonnet into a love letter. And we're just like, really? We just text vegetables that look like our (laughs) ding-dongs. All right, anyway, let's move on. Because while Facebook is banning emojis, the city of Las Vegas is trying to ban actual humans.
1: Las Vegas makes it illegal to camp or sleep on the streets or sidewalks. Uh, The city council approving the measure in front of a fired up crowd. Protesters Protesters say the ban criminalizes the homeless population. Those violating the law could be fined up to $1,000 or put in jail for six months.
0: Are you shitting me? This is heartless and disgusting. The city of Vegas is making it a crime for a homeless person to sleep on the street. Like, what's their pitch? Oh, we don't want these homeless people because they might scare away our our usual crowd of pimps and bookies, you know? (laughs) And also, how are you gonna fine a homeless person? Asking a homeless person to pay a fine is like asking Nancy Pelosi to blink. It's not gonna happen. (laughs) Those eyes don't close. (laughs) It's also crazy. It's also crazy that the punishment for being homeless in the street is gonna be six months in jail. Like for me, this is always the paradox of America because the government could be providing housing for homeless people, but instead they'd rather spend $4,500 per person to put a homeless person in prison, which is a place with a roof and a bed and a TV. That's a house, just give them a house. (laughs) Take away the bars and the toilet wine. It's the same thing. (laughs) It's the same thing. (laughs) But instead, The city's gonna force the people to live in jail and then what, at the end of the sentence, you're gonna be like, okay, you're free. Do you have a house yet? It's like, no, then get back in there, get back in there. (laughs) All right, moving on. We all know 911 is the number to call when there's an emergency, but now you may wanna have a backup.
1: The 911
0: personnel under fire after an emergency call was mishandled while investigators say the supervisor was apparently streaming Netflix. When a gunman opened fire, his bullet barely missed a woman sitting in her car. She called 911 three times, but the police never came, in part because the supervisor was distracted, watching Netflix and Hulu on the job.
1: I just called the police a few good minutes ago and they're still not here and I just got shot at in the car. I don't know what to do, I'm freaking out.
0: Another four minutes passed, still no cops.
1: Hi, I just called. I'm gonna drive to the police station, is
0: that okay? Oh man, first of all, I need the gumption of this woman. She gets shot at, the police don't answer, so she's like, I'm just gonna drive to the station myself. Yeah, that's conviction because Grubhub gives me a kale salad instead of the ice cream I ordered and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll take it. (laughs) You know what'd be weird is what if she gets to the station and all the cops are also watching Netflix, huh? Then she's gonna have to do the whole investigation herself, finds the shooter, takes him to court. But then when she gets to court, the judge is also watching Netflix. So then she then has to do the trial herself. It's just like a one-woman justice system, which is such a great story. They should make it into a show on Netflix. They really should. I think that would be a great show. And the police would be watching it when she calls. Can we also admit that this is partly Netflix's fault, though? Like, they make binging too addictive. Like, instead of always recommending more shows, maybe Netflix should have a setting for people at work. So it says, if you like stranger things, you may like doing your job. (laughs) It might work. I do have a tip for anyone though. If you do call 911 and you suspect that they're ignoring you because they're watching Netflix, there's actually a code that you can use to make sure that they send someone right away. You just say black guy and then they spring right into action. (laughs) Yeah, it works for anything. It really works well. You just pick up the phone and be like, hello, 911, my cat is stuck in a tree and there's a black guy up there. We're sending someone right away. He's he's on his way. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. (laughs) Our main story is about vaping. It's for people who like smoking, but don't like to look cool. When (laughs) vape pens first came out, they were marketed as a better alternative to smoking. You know, no smell, no mess, and most importantly, they said it was better for your health, which sounded like the holy grail. I mean, imagine if they came out with a tequila that caused you to make good decisions. <laughs> be like, dude, I drank so much last night, I created an app that connects healthcare providers with low-income families who need it, and I didn't call my ex. I was smashed. <laughs> but over the last year, we started to learn that vaping is not as innocent as we were told. And we're also learning that the vaping companies are shady as shit. A new lawsuit claims that e-cigarette maker Juul shipped and sold contaminated vaping pods to customers and retailers. A former executive for the e-cigarette maker alleges that at least 1 million tainted pods were put on the market earlier this year. Former Juul Senior Vice President Siddharth Brajia claims he was fired in March for raising concerns about the quality of the products being sold. The lawsuit claims then-CEO Kevin Burns responded to those concerns, saying, half our customers are drunk and vaping like who the is going to notice the quality of our pods. God damn. I honestly don't know what's worse. The fact that Juul was shipping contaminated pods or the fact that their CEO didn't give a shit about his customers. he treated his customers the way Trump treats the English language. (laughs) Every me I can, best, not good, (laughs) quid pro quo. And this lawsuit, is only the latest in a long string of vaping controversies. Right? There have also been widespread reports about people getting sick from vaping, people dying from vaping, and even some people who thought they were vaping but were actually just sucking on a USB drive. <laughs> oh, 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 PowerPoint. <laughs> oh, oh. Now you may be wondering, how on earth did an industry that barely existed a few years ago turn into a nationwide epidemic? Well, let's find out in another installment of If You Don't Know, Now You Know. electronic cigarettes become the biggest thing on the streets? Well, their rise to the top started a lot like regular cigarettes. There's no question that the e-cigarette industry has ripped its tactics straight from Big Tobacco's playbook.
1: Take a look at the glamorous woman in the blue dress smoking a cigarette in 1930. And this woman today in an ad for an e-cigarette. The rugged cowboy then and now.
0: Both marketed relaxation, sharing, travel, freedom, and sex appeal. E-cigarette manufacturers like candy pens can be promoted in DJ Khaled music videos, just like tobacco corporations used to pay stars to smoke their cigarettes on screen. Okay, that's just irresponsible. Celebrities shouldn't be advertising addictive substances to their fans, which is why the only product I endorse is cabbage. (laughs) Cabbage, it's the one thing you definitely won't get addicted to. Mmm, mmm. I don't want any more of this, now. Nah. <laughs> now, to be clear, vaping companies aren't bad guys because they advertise their product. What made this a sinister industry is who they were advertising their products to. The FDA slamming popular e-cigarette maker, Juul, for marketing directly to students.
1: Juul spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to fund youth programming Two teenagers testified that a Juul representative came to their school to give an anti-vaping presentation. And when their teacher left the room, they say the representative repeatedly claimed that Juul was safe to use. 80% of teens who vape say they picked the product because it comes in flavors that they like. The teens say
0: the sleek devices are easy to hide. You can't tell if it's a teenager's lip gloss or cologne or if it's a vape. Uh, I think you can tell, because they're sucking on it. I'm pretty sure teenagers aren't taking drags of eternity for men. Something tells me that kids get away with a lot at this principal school. It's just like, boy, it sure is remarkable how many students here are texting about their eggplants getting rained on. These kids love gardening. But when you look at everything from vape pen designs, to their outreach. You don't have to be a genius to realize they wanted their products in the hands of teens. And the flavors are probably the biggest red flag of all. I mean, mango, cotton candy, jelly donut. Like these things are so targeted at kids, I'm shocked that they didn't have like a breast milk flavor. But according to the vape Lobby, all these flavors are clearly for adults only. The industry is not targeting children. Just because you're an adult doesn't mean that you don't like uh, gummy bears. I see adults buying you know, packs of gummy bears all the time. I mean, just because you're an adult doesn't mean that you don't like good flavors. Okay, okay. I hear you, rodeo accountant. I hear you. (laughs) But you have to admit, the vaping lobby's excuses sound a lot like a pedophile's excuses. What, no? The candy and Disney movies I keep in my car are for me. Adults like Moana, too. Now, in response to all this criticism, the biggest e-cigarette company, Juul, has recently curbed their marketing to kids. And also they've gotten rid of all their super fruity, fantastic, totally adult flavors. But unfortunately, it might be a little too little too late because countless teens are already addicted to vaping and schools across the country are struggling with the outbreak. It's a nationwide problem. In Texas, some schools make kids roll up their long sleeves so they can't hide the devices. In Fairbury, Nebraska, they are randomly testing students in extracurricular activities for nicotine. There are vape sensors in Illinois and New Jersey bathrooms. One Alabama high school taking extreme measures after a student was found passed out in the bathroom after vaping. The principal removing doors off stalls in the boys' bathroom, which some parents say is excessive. Okay, hold up. Some parents say that's excessive? (laughs) Some parents think it's excessive to force kids to shit in front of everybody? (laughs) Who are the other parents? Who are the other parents who are like, it's fine, my kid doesn't deserve privacy. I mean, aside from T.I., who are the other parents? Yeah, he's probably like, take the doors off those stalls expeditiously. (laughs) Look, I think we can all agree that neither kids nor schools should be responsible for fixing this addiction crisis that companies like Juul have helped create. If anything, e-cigarette companies should be forced to pay for the damage that they've purposefully caused. It's the same way opioid companies are being forced to pay for the work they've done that that caused people to be addicted, or how Nabisco had to pay for Cookie Monster's rehab, you know? And you know what, just to give them a little extra incentive, we should go to Juul's offices and take the doors off of their bathroom stalls until they fix the shit that they've done. So in a nutshell, in a nutshell, that's how vaping became the crisis that it is in America today. And if you don't know, now you know. We'll be right back. (laughs) Love The Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love go to cohst.app/tds or click the link in this episode show notes to fill out a quick 2 minute survey and tell us a little bit about yourself Tonight is an actor, comedian, and author whose new book is called Little Weirds, and her debut Netflix comedy special is called Stage Frights. Please welcome Jenny (laughs) Slate. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on uh, having not one but two new projects out at the same time that are getting great reviews from people who are watching and reading them. Let's talk first about the book, Little Weirds. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting because you say you didn't want to write a book about, you know, uh, you know, your time in comedy. You didn't want to write about SNL. You know, you you just wanted to write about your weird little world. And I was like, what does that mean? But when you read it, you're like, you have a very strange (laughs) mind. (laughs) It is a beautiful mind, but it is a strange mind. And I mean, like, you you, you write about like the idea of being born as a croissant for instance
1: sure Sure, that's right. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's right, that's right. I almost jumped on the fact that you said A Beautiful Mind, which is, of course, a movie about a, uh, from the 90s about a mentally ill man. Um, oh, no,
0: no, 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 no. Um, just, i just just mean just it's, clarifying it's a be- super quick. Oh, no, 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 yeah. no. A, just A Beautiful Mind. Well, no. A mind that is beautiful. I should <laughs> Yes, trademark, no
1: trademark. I mean, Undo great that. Russell Crowe performance. Right, right. He's in, I mean, and actually, I mean, not to get us off topic right away, but when I was writing this book, I was like, I'm just gonna write, like, whatever I'm thinking about because that is what is interesting to me right now. But as I started to assemble it, I actually said, is this gonna be like, in the movie, A Beautiful Mind? Wow. When he's like, I solved the problem, come to my office, and then the people all come, and he's, like, in a shack in the woods, and he's, like, you know, tacked up trash to the wall. Right. And he's like, do you see it?
0: Because it is. It is, a, it is a collection of very strange stories that I don't think anybody has written. Like, ghost pirates. I don't think anybody's written about ghost <laughs> pirates before. It's like a thing where you were just like, yeah, I'm just gonna write about ghost pirates and then Valentine's Day and my life and this thing and that thing. And then, like, like, is is that how your mind works? Is that just what's always going on?
1: You know what? I do think it's, like, pretty um, various inside. And, and that is, like, the scope of my imagination. But part of writing this book was, like, you know, sometimes if if you're, especially if you're a comedian, they're like, we want you to write comedic essays about maybe the famous people you've met or something Mm -hmm, or or mm -hmm. where you've been. And for me, I wrote this at a time when I kind of felt like I I needed to get to know myself again. And so um, I started to write little pieces just about, like, what I was observing in myself. And the piece you're talking about, the croissant, it, it comes from this weird feeling that I've been having, like, for over a decade that was just a wish that some, I would be walking down the street and people would see me and be like, she's probably from France. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means. No, I love
1: it. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it means, like, you know, she's classy. She's, she's just over it. <laughs>
0: I think that is the best description for a French person Adults I've care. ever heard. Yeah. They do generally seem like they are over it. They've yeah. done it all, and they are over it all.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, my my feeling about French ladies is like, oh, they just don't care. Like, you have to win their attention, whereas, like, me as an American Jenny, I'm like... <laughs> like, I, like, like, do you want to talk to me? Like, let's never go to bed. Like, you know, oh. even when this interview is over, I'm going to follow you around and be like, Oh. Oh wow, thank like, you. Like, what more? Uh... <laughs>
0: Let's talk about the stand-up as well, because um, your mind translates completely differently in the stand-up, and that's what I think I really enjoyed. It's, like, the book is fun, and it's quirky, and, like, you play with it, and it really is heartfelt. The stand-up has that feeling, but in a totally different way. You've done something that I haven't seen before. You've got your stand-up, but then you have, like, a documentary that's happening parallel to the stand-up. So you're telling stories, and then we see the real-life, like, backstory to these stories. One of the most adorable things in the special is when we see your grandmothers, and, like, your grands are just, like adorable, and then you imitate your grant, which is, like, makes you adorable because you're doing the grant, and then it's just, like, it's, an, it's a magical thing. Why did you choose to do it like that?
1: I think, um... I, you know what? It's sort of an extension of being like, Mom, will you come with me? <laughs> like, if you're afraid of doing something, you're right. like, I don't want to walk... You know, if, like, you're a kid in, in a restaurant, you have to go to the bathroom, and you're like, well, someone come with me? Um, I, I think it was, like, it's time I felt like, okay, I... I've been doing stand-up for almost 15 years, and I've never done a special because I don't like the challenge of having to get it perfect Um, and, like, touring the country and just making your material, like, you know, sort of, like, bulletproof, and I'm very improvisational on stage, and Uh I thought, like, there's kind of no place for me, and then I thought, well, there's a place for me... um, There's a place for me to show where I come from, and that's what my special should be like, so um, I decided to do the set in the way that I normally do it, which is right. like, there are bullet points, but it's it's improvised, and then to show that um, I come from these people who are storytellers and like strange, silly sweethearts in, in their own way, and that I'm kind of from that, but somehow shot out the side. <laughs>
0: Where, has, anyone, has anyone said to you after watching the special, hey, we should get your grandmother into stand-up as well? <laughs> Because she's really funny.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're both really funny. I was just saying to my parents yesterday that one of the funniest jokes, my Nana Connie, who looks like Nancy Reagan with eagle (laughs) talent, um, one of the funniest things she said was that she turned to my other grandmother, and they're both, like, a million years old, um, and was like, oh, no, Rochelle, we forgot our rollerblades. (laughs) (laughs) This is, yeah,
0: it's it's quirky, it's different, it's interesting. Um, it's 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 a new way of, spread, of expressing yourself. And, and one thing I find fascinating is you you you've been really open talking about like you know your anxiety and how you were struggling at some point with like your place in the world and just like you know harnessing your mind and your emotions. Yeah. Has this helped you writing it out? You know, doing the special out there has it given you a sense of relief?
1: It really has, because I think there's this sense that if you're going to put yourself into the public eye, you have to be really tough. Mm-hmm. Or, like, when people hear that I'm a stand-up comedian, they're like, oh, that must be so hard because of heckling. And, like, I mean, I hate to jinx myself, but I, I actually haven't been heckled. Um, right. Because I'm usually just a person up there talking, um, but I've kept it really small scale. And I think for me, writing this book, you know, first I just wanted to, like, be really, like, muscular about it. And suddenly I was like... I just want to write a book that is sweet, that anybody could kind of, like, open to any page and feel that they are talking to a dear friend. Right. And that means, like, a reflection of intimacy and um, and being allowed to share sorrow without making it be heavy. And, um, and so I put this book here kind of, like, into the culture to be like, there's a lot that hurts right now. Wherever, whatever side of the, whatever line you're on, mm-hmm. like, there's just mm-hmm. a lot of bruising and... Um, I would like to just offer a little gift for relief for myself and whoever wants it. Oh, well,
0: I think you've done that with the book, and the special <laughs> is just as so fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on the Thank show. You. Really wonderful. Stage Fight is currently streaming on Netflix, and Little Weird is available now. Jenny Slade, everybody. Love The Daily Show ears edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to t d s or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi! Listen to
1: On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.